Hey guys, I just wanted to pause a little bit and thank you, every single one of you for listening. This is our 27th episode. And I want to let you guys know that this is the end of season one for the Dear Younger Me Love Me podcast. We're going to take a break in December and then start back up in January 2020. Thank you so much for listening. And I've received so much positive feedback from all of these stories. And I cannot wait to have more stories for you guys to hear in 2021. Thanks for listening. And now on to episode 27. Hey guys, welcome to Dear Younger Me, Love Me, and today we have my dear friend, Jess Hatcher, with us, and she is going to share a lot about her life, but she is a resident director at Huntington University in one of the halls, and she is a mental health professional, and um, she's 28 and has been my friend for a long time, and so I love Jess. She's my fellow ENFP on the Myers-Briggs. And so we can, Jess brings out my weirdo and it's amazing. She's, she's Enneagram 7 and just loves life and she is so fun, but she also is able to sit and be really deep with people, hence her profession. And so um, Jess, I would love for you to share a little bit about what got you interested in being a mental health, health counselor and what kind of led you to choosing that profession. So first of all, thank you for having me on your podcast, Liz. Um, I have been seeing all the posts about the podcast, and so I feel honored to now be someone on this podcast. Um, So that's a funny story. Um, I actually have known that I've wanted to work in the field of counseling since I was in eighth grade, which most people can't say that. Which, yeah, I mean, I don't think it's normal that I mm-hmm. <laughs> knew what I wanted to do in eighth grade, uh-huh. um, but I did, and I, you know, went to college, got my degree in psychology, thought I was going to do one thing. Um, I thought I was going to be a school counselor, um, which I mean, I guess I kind of am that. Yeah, you're a college, a college school counselor. Yeah, in, in higher ed, I kind of am that, which is funny. Yeah. But in general, I got my master's in mental health counseling so that I can just counsel people at a broad, I don't know, in broad life. And I'm not stuck in a school forever. Yeah. That's a very specific path. Yes, it is. Um, but anyways, what led me to that is actually... Um, part of what I think I wanted to talk about today when it came to experiences that shaped me and formed me. Yeah. Um, and truly, uh, I believe led me to where I am now and the profession that I am in now. Um, so when I was in middle school, late middle school, and throughout high school, I was stuck in these really abusive codependent relationships with adults in my life, two specific adults. Hmm. Um, One was a female and one was a male. And um, they were both in positions in my life where I thought that I could trust them. So one worked at my school and one um, was a youth leader at my church. Yeah. And 
I really admired them and really looked up to them and um, thought that they were really, really cool because they were cool. I mean, they were, and um, they liked to spend time with me and I liked spending time with them. And so I spent a lot of time with them throughout high school. And that's kind of where I got, I don't know, exposed the idea of helping people at least, whether that's through ministry, through a job, whatever that is. Um, I realized that that was something that I wanted to do and something that I thought that I was good at. I was also kind of that friend in my friend group where people would come to me to talk to me about things. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Kind of that go-to person. So it seemed natural for me in in some sense, but part of it was just the adults in my life that I looked up to. Hmm. However, though, those relationships turned very unhealthy very quickly. From the outside, they looked like normal, healthy relationships and um, just have me having adults in my life who poured into me. Yeah. Um, and I, I wanted it to look that way. I mean, I, I didn't want anyone to see what was going on, but I also didn't really know what was going on. Um, all I knew is that, especially when I started high school, I started feeling really depressed. Um, I was really anxious. I was incredibly emotionally dependent on these adults. Um, I like couldn't get through my day without talking to them or seeing them. And, you know, they, they fed on that. Yeah. Uh, That was what they wanted. I think. What are some, how did they feed on that? What are some examples with that? Oh, they just enabled it a lot and they created the emotional dependency too, because they saw how much I wanted it and how much I needed it. And so they, they went along with it. Um, I think, oh, I know they also had emotional needs that were not met, um, that they were having met through me when I was 14, 15, yeah. 16, you know? Um, and that's where the codependency thing comes in. Cause yeah. I was going to ask you to explain what, what the term codependency really looks like for someone who is, who's heard that a lot, but maybe doesn't yeah. know how it's defined. If I am correct, I believe codependency was birthed out of um, kind of like Alcoholics Anonymous and the amount of um, people who were married to alcoholics Hmm. and found themselves struggling with the same problems over and over again because they were enabling someone who was addicted, um, but they were also dependent on that person. And then that person was dependent on them. Um, And it just, and then it became this really unhealthy thing because alcohol was involved and abuse would take place. And then it kind of broadened wider to just general relationships. So you can have codependent relationships, um, obviously without alcohol involved, um, where there's just such a deep dependence on each other that it gets very unhealthy and um, it's hard to function without each other. Uh, There's usually some like unhealthy communication patterns, um, maybe some physical dependence as well. Yeah. It's like your whole identity gets mashed with the other person. So you don't know yourself outside of your relationship with that person. Yes. Yes. Definitely a fusing of identity. Yeah. Um, and so when I was 15, I mean, that's what you're trying to figure out when you're in high school is your identity. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's a lot of your life, even through college, but especially in high school when there's so much pressure about who you are, what you look like, you know, all of these things, what you're involved in that honestly, I think 
one of the things I've had to grieve even in the last like five years is the idea that I felt like a normal teenage experience was kind of ripped from me. Mm, yeah. Not completely. Because again, I lived a normal teenage life. I had friends. I did fun things. I was involved in stuff. You were the mascot um, in high school? I was the mascot in high school. I mean, <laughs> come on. <laughs> so normal. I don't know um, how, nor- how much normal you can get. <laughs> exactly. That's a story for another time. <laughs> yeah, this. But three years. Three years <laughs> as a mascot. So yeah, I I felt like due to those relationships, uh, the codependency, the abuse that was taking place, I I just didn't get to do normal things. Like I kind of wish a boy would have broken my heart. You know, things like that that I instead of having these adults breaking my heart over and over again. Yeah. Um. I I I really did grieve that a few years ago, and it was really hard for me um, to realize that I missed out on some of those foundational things that a lot of other people experience. Yeah. So when you're thinking about your high school experiences and, and because I know your story so well, Mm -hmm. even some of your lowest moments, how did you feel about yourself during some of those lowest moments and and what brought you to those really big dips, like those valleys in your emotional life? Yeah. So I think when you can't see what you're going through and you can't see how unhealthy your relationships are. I just kept getting stuck with the idea of like, why am I, why do I hate myself? Mm. Like, why, why do I doubt myself so much? Why do I feel unworthy? Um, why do I want to isolate myself? Why am I so moody? Um, I just felt really terrible about myself. And that's mostly because I was putting my worth into other people's hands yeah. um, and letting them determine that or letting their actions determine how I felt. However, when you are a child, and I'm sorry if you're 15 and listening to this, but you are still a child. Um, When you're a child, I just had this expectation that adults shouldn't do that to me. Like that, that couldn't be the reason that couldn't be why, because adults can protect you and take care of you. Like I had this narrative of what an adult was and uh, it, clearly did not work out that way but I was 15 and I didn't really know any better so I just had so many late I just had so many nights where I cried myself to sleep I was so upset and not to mention I was trying to hide this from everybody from my parents from my siblings so I mean I let my friends into it um, Mm. because some of them were also impacted by these people in negative ways so my friends had some idea but it was really, really hard having to put on a face constantly. Like I was all right and I was fine. Yeah. Um, thankfully, though, I spent my whole life in the church, um, grew up in it, was heavily involved in high school, which, of course, was part of the problem. But also, I had a deep relationship with Jesus and I had a deep dependence on God. And I am so grateful for that because I think that kept me on the right path. Yeah. And at the end of the day, when I was feeling the way I was, I would ultimately be turning to Jesus because I was finally understanding that I had hit rock bottom over and over again. And there's nothing else that could help me. Yeah. So when you're, if you were to, cause you've used the word abuse, mm-hmm. what are some of the specific things you experience that you would have defined as abuse? Well, so I'll, I'll tell the story to kind of get to explaining that. Um, 
So through high school, I was in counseling for a little bit. Through college, I was in counseling for, I mean, nearly all four years. Then I came to Huntington to work um, at HU and do grad school here. So the reason I came to Huntington for grad school was because of my campus life director. So she had come to Huntington for grad school and she called me while I was in college and was basically like, I don't understand why you're not looking at HU for a grad school. I think it would be perfect for you. <laughs> like you have no good reason. And I was like, okay, fine. You're right. So leave I it up, up, leave it up to campus life directors. to put Honestly, you, right place, you know, leave it up to them to contact me four years after I graduated. To <laughs> we get, get it. We get it. But anyways, shout out to Sarah Baldwin for that. Thank you. Um, so Sarah got me to Huntington and I remember I went to my very first class and I just felt immediately triggered by my stuff and didn't expect that to happen. Um, and so Sarah Baldwin was the only person I really knew in Huntington who knew me of any, in any way. And actually she was in Fort Wayne. And so I asked her if we could get coffee. Um, because I needed to talk through some things. So remember, Sarah knew me in high school. She yeah. actually knew me from freshman year on because when I was a freshman in high school, she was a senior and we cheered together. So she knew me as a freshman. Um, she knew me as a sophomore. I babysat for her wedding. And then junior year and senior year, her and her husband were my campus life directors. So they, she saw me in all forms. She, she knew me, she knew my family, she knew my parents. We spent a lot of time together. Yeah. And I remember sitting in the Starbucks in the Starbucks with Sarah and telling her everything I had gone through in high school. And for the most part, she had absolutely no idea. Hmm. Um, and she was actually the first person to use the word abuse with me and say, This sounds this sounds like abuse. And that was really hard for me to take in because for some reason, all throughout college, that had never been labeled as abuse. But Sarah actually put a new word to it, and that sent me on a different journey of trying to heal. So yeah. what, I, what I was telling her is I was telling her about um, a lot of the emotional manipulation, which can be abuse, that I experienced, um, some physical stuff, not, um, not sexual and not like beating. No one was beating me or anything, um, but just intimate things, a lot of boundaries crossed when it came to that sometimes harsh words, but not a lot. Um, if anything, it was just to make me feel bad and feel guilty. So again, more manipulation yeah, in a sense, but because of how long it lasted um, and also the repetitiveness, repetitiveness of it, that is what would kind of be defined as abuse. Yeah. And not to mention like the age difference too. That's, that, that is a big deal. If I had been 25 and this person was I don't know, 32, maybe it would have been like, oh, okay, well, that was just kind of an unhealthy relationship. But because I was 15 years old and they were in their late 20s, that's, that's a different situation. Yeah, because so. you're so young and moldable and you're yeah. still, like you said, you're de developing your identity. And when somebody kind of interrupts that a little bit, it mm -hmm. is, is really difficult to bounce back from those things. Yeah. They always say kids are resilient, but there's still damage and there's still scars when you stumble and fall and you still scrape your, scrape your knee and yeah, you can get back up again, but there, it takes some healing still too, an intentional healing. Yeah. yeah. And so that, and that's what grad school was for me was a lot of intentional healing. And those were some of the hardest years of my life because I had to, 
I had to face this in a new way, um, not to mention becoming a therapist and working through so much of that. If I hadn't made space to work through my own stuff I had gone through, I wouldn't have space for my clients now um, where I do have to hold all of their experiences um, and the things that they have gone through. So during all of this, what did your relationship with other people look like? Like friends and family in, in, in all of this? And yes, you had your two people that you were codependent with, but, but what was your relationship like with other people? Did it affect that? Um, it definitely impacted my relationship with my parents because I was trying to not show what was going on. Um, didn't really impact my relationship with my friends, I don't think. I had a lot of friends in high school. It doesn't mean they were all my best friends, but I, I just knew a lot of people. I had good relationships with the majority of them. I was very extroverted in high school. So every single night I was doing something out. Every Friday night, someone was spending the night or I was spending the night somewhere else. Like I was never just at home idle unless I had to be or I was forced to be. So it really didn't impact much of that. But I think that was the damaging part is that I just kept isolating myself over and over again. So then no one ever saw my pain or what I was experiencing. And so it was just very damaging to me, even mm. though nobody else could see what was happening or what was going on. Yeah. Cause you were wearing a mask. You were pretending that everything was okay when actually things were really like hurting you on the inside. And I think that is a big danger of not learning how to be vulnerable and honest about how you're feeling is that it can really, really hurt you. Even though you're like, oh yeah, like things are great. I can pretend like everything's great with my friends. It doesn't really affect a lot of my external relationships. Well, it was really impacting you internally and you had to do a lot of work to kind of unravel that maze that you had made for yourself. Mm-hmm. And if it, didn't, if it didn't affect my external relationships while I was going through it, it definitely affected my external relationships afterwards. Um, when it came to, um, re- especially in college, when it came to relating to anybody in my life who was a female authority figure, I froze. Mm-hmm. I mean, I had PTSD reactions and stuff like that that I had to work through, which God has been very faithful in um, providing me wonderful, safe people who I could um, kind of heal with and re reshape um narratives of what caring for someone looks like yeah Uh, but it has also damaged relationships to external relationships and so a lot of that is because well first of all healing is just really messy and it (laughs) there's no linear way to do it it the grief comes in waves the hurt comes in waves the needs come in waves. And so navigating that is just hard. And I, I am grateful for everybody who has stuck with me through navigating some of those deep waters because they have been very painful. They have been difficult. Um, they've been irrational to some degree. And so that journey probably has, expect, has impacted my external relationships more than when I was, you know, 15 through 19 in the the real thick of it. Yeah. Um, it was kind of the after effect of it. Hmm. How do you think you would be now if you wouldn't have entered into this healing process? What do you think it would have, do you see any steps that would have, like that you would have taken or like, where do you project yourself now 
in your imagination if you would have never tried to heal from all of those things? Oh boy. Well, I would be pretty miserable right now. I know that. I would I would probably still be depressed, still be anxious, be closed off um, and isolated. But again, nobody would know that. Hmm. So I would probably be functioning just like my 15-year-old self, but as an adult. So I would still have all of the friends, have all the experiences, do fun things, be funny, be life of the party. But I would also internally be suffering immensely, immensely. And, you know, now that I'm an adult, who knows? I probably would have self-medicated with alcohol and, you know, because that's just kind of naturally what leads to abusing um, substances of some sort is having some trauma that hasn't been dealt with. So, so yeah, I think that I would be, I'd be putting on a really good show right now, but I would be very miserable in it. Um, Mm -hmm. And I would be, I would be heartbroken and and I wouldn't have healthy relationships. A hundred percent would not have have healthy relationships at all. Well, yeah, you're living your entire life with a facade, like your entire life with a wall up, not letting anybody penetrate the inside Mm -hmm. of of that wall. Yep. And And sadly, I probably would have done all of it in vain to God, honestly, too, because I probably would have put on a show that had some inspiring faith aspect to it, but on the inside be very troubled and disconnected from God and and probably hurting a lot of people in that process. Yeah. And so from high school to college, college is really where you started to get a lot of counseling and start working through some of those things. What was the thing that made you realize, like, I need help. I, I need, I need something. And what I'm doing now isn't working. Oh, I remember this moment distinctly. Well, when I left for college, I felt like I was going to summer camp. Um, because I was leaving everything behind, packing up all my stuff, living with a ton of new people and having a blast. So the first two months of college was so much fun. Um, I would just walk around the hall and like walk in people's rooms that I didn't know and start talking to them. Yes. So I, I met a lot of people, which is great. <laughs> extrovert, you know? Yep, extrovert. But what actually happened was, this is like late October, early November. I got a call from my mom that one of those adults that I was in a relationship with, um, cause he, the male, he had gotten in trouble legally. So essentially what had happened is he had reoffended and something had come out and, and I remember I didn't take it very well because I still had an idolized version of this person in my head. Mm-hmm. And so I reached out to a friend of mine and was kind of complaining about it and upset about it. And I mean, I was sad about it, honestly, is that's what was going on. I was sad, but I didn't know how to handle that at 18. And so I was talking to a friend about it, um, from home. And then later on that evening, that same friend texted me and basically told me that they had also gone through abuse from this person. And for some reason that was what clicked for me and that, that set me off as, Mm -hmm. oh my gosh, I can't believe I didn't know about this. And it was hidden from me. And it, it, it's like it, it broke through whatever facade I had of this person and every excuse I had for this person. And then it was done. Yeah. Um, well, yeah. Cause when somebody's 
trying to emotionally manipulate and, Mm -hmm. you know, have those deep relationships, they're going to make you think that you're the only one that you're special and that like you're, you're the exception to things. And when you find out that it, that's not the case and that they were basically manipulating you to get what they wanted, then that kind of breaks down that, (laughs) that wall of I'm special. I'm the exception. Well, and also I was this person's emotional crutch for so long that I think they had, I mean, tricked me to believe that they needed me and I needed them and anything else that happened didn't matter basically. Mm, yeah. Um, so that was, that was one aspect of it. Um, the other aspect of it was my RD when I was a freshman, um, her name is Heidi and I'm actually still very close with her now, which I am very grateful for. Um, she was my RD my freshman year of college. And the first few months that I was at school, I had this, I mean, I don't know how to explain it except this paralyzing, like gut-wrenching, nervous feeling every time I was around her. And I didn't understand it. Mm. Like I didn't get it. I'm like, what is happening? Why? I want to, like, I want to get to know this person because I want to be an RA. I want to work for them. Like I want to have a relationship with them but why does this keep happening to me? And I mean, it was like, it was the worst feeling in the world. And, and I had no idea how to navigate it. And so once everything happened with the person from home, and then also kind of noting how I was feeling when I was around her, I realized like, okay, something is off and not right. And also it looks like all of my junk has followed me to college and I didn't want that to happen. Yeah. <laughs> so you couldn't just leave point, it in your childhood home. Right. Right. So at that point I reached out to my RA and kind of told her a little bit of it. And then my RA was like, Hey, I wonder if you should go to counseling. And I thought, okay. And then I went and I had the same counselor for the next like three and a half years. And her name is Angie and she was great. So what were some of the healing things that your counselor walked you through and that, that helped you grow to become the person you are today and to move from the person that was wearing the mask, that was depressed, that was anxious and, and, and all of those things? What, what kind of helped you through that? Well, um, out, okay, within counseling, we did a lot of work on uh, my identity and where it was found. And we also did a lot of reorienting my thoughts and realizing that a lot of the thoughts I had about myself were distorted Hmm. and not true. And so once we worked through those and I began to realize like, oh, maybe what I've thought about myself forever has no validity to it. And so that was part of it for me. It was like working on my own self-talk. And then a, a bigger part of it um, was the relationships that I had when I was in college with the adults that worked at the university. Yeah. So that was um, nearly every RD I had, some some of the RD spouses that I got really close to, some of my professors. I mean, it just completely like rewrote the narrative hmm. that adults were safe and that they could be safe and that they could support me and help me and it didn't have to be this unhealthy thing. So Honestly, my college years were very, very healing for me, and I am so, so grateful for them um, because I know God was very purposeful in those four years of my life with who was in my life, um, the classes I was taking, the chapel talks, you know, the church I was at. It was just all for a reason. I actually got baptized in college, Hmm. which 
um, was really cool because I hadn't gotten baptized before then. So a lot of good healing came in those years. Yeah. Um, I'm curious, what were some of the practices that you did to help reorient your thoughts? Because I think a lot of people have distorted views of themselves and could definitely use some practices on how to bounce their thoughts from thinking one thing about themselves to what's actually true about themselves. Yes. So I used um, a lot of scripture. Um, I used this old book called The Search for Significance. And um, now I look at it and I'm like, this is kind of a cheesy book. But when I was 18, it was very, very helpful for me. Mm. Um, I did a lot of just like, so there's this distorted thinking handout that I like to give my clients now, where basically it just gives all these different ways of thinking that are distorted. And so what I would do is when I had a thought, this is classic cognitive behavioral, you know, theory. So yeah. when I had a thought. I was about I, to say that. Right, right. <laughs> when I had a thought, I would write it down. Like maybe I, the thought was I, or no one will ever love me. Okay. What, I would look for what proof I have of that. Like what experiences, what proof do I have that no one will ever love me? Have people loved me before? The answer is always yes. Um, you know, where in scripture does a point that I am loved? Okay there it is. And so it was just this constant redoing of that. I mean, it takes practice. It's not like you work through this one time and you're like, Oh, I think, I think better about myself. Hmm. It, it takes a lot of deep work and the awareness to know that you have to rely on that when you're stuck in really dark times or that you need to let people into your healing journey so they can remind you of truth too. Yeah. So you're not just trying to do it all by yourself. It's the idea of like, who can I let in who is safe, who can also remind me of these truths um, and hold me accountable to believing these truths about myself and not, not letting other people or circumstances sway how I think and feel. Yeah. I actually take through, I take some students through an exercise similar to that where Mm -hmm. they, we get note cards and they write different lies they believe about themselves. And then we look up scripture that that fights those lies. And then they just have them on index cards next to their bed. And so when at like 2 AM, when they're feeling like a literal piece of trash, they can, they can go and pull that out and be like, man, this is a lie that I'm believing about myself that I'm not enough or that I won't ever be loved or I'm not pretty enough or like any, you, you name it. That's, I mean, we all have all experienced believing yeah. lies about ourselves and then flipping it around in scripture is just right there to help counteract that, that, belief that Satan's trying to get you to believe to the truth of what God says about us. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it can be a really good first step towards working through healing. And then hopefully after that, you can have a lot of correctional experiences um, in relationships Mm. Um, and even within yourself that can solidify some of those beliefs. Yeah. So during all of that, what were some of the scripture and maybe a song or whatever it is that, that helped you stay afloat during that healing process and that helped you through all of that? Oh, songs. I could give you many, 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 many songs. Because for me, music is something that like just speaks so deeply to me and that I hold tight to. And, yeah. Um, and when I was in college, I basically anything by Atlanta story was... Um, very impactful for me that I would try to listen to and calm myself down. Mm -hmm. But also a verse that really stuck with me was actually Exodus 14, 14, which is the Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still, which is very helpful for me in my anxious moments because there was this idea that I didn't have to do anything. 
um, and that just being still was enough and that God would step in to fight for me. And so I would repeat that verse consistently. Um, that verse is, is still very important to me today, but it was very important for me then um, when it felt like I either had to try to save myself, which wasn't true, or everything was just so overwhelming and paralyzing that I couldn't do anything. It was a good reminder that God will step in and protect me um, and fight for me as I am believing all of the lies. Yeah. And you just need to sit and be still. Mm-hmm. And that goes with the whole verses about remaining. Like it's just abide and that whole concept of just yes. like, all you have to do is just be with him and let him take this from you. So just right now, I would love to give you a chance to read your letter to your younger self. Dear younger me, oh, how deeply I wish that I could tell you what I know now and show you how things turned out. If I did that, though, I'm afraid you wouldn't get to where you are today. My grief for you has been debilitating over the last few years. I felt so many feelings from anger to gratefulness. You really didn't understand what you were dealing with, and I know the reality is that you just desperately wanted to be loved, seen, and held. To be honest, you've turned out pretty great compared to what you had to face. You chose the right path, even though it was the hard one. I see your strength, resilience, and faith. Keep those things close because you will continue to need them. I wish I could have been the one to hold you, care for you, and show you how special you are. However, with Jesus by your side, you will get there and finally see it for yourself. And better yet, you will be the adult that you needed and it will be so rewarding. Love me. I love the, like, the way you ended it where it's like you're going to be the adult that you needed. And I think that so many of us that are in um, – you know, any sort of ministry position or counselor position or, you know, a position where we're giving back to other people. Many of us are driven by, I want to be the adult that I needed in my life, but maybe didn't have or did have. And I want to be like that person. And we're, we're driven to, to be that. And so even if you're a student right now, or you're trying to figure out what your path is, it's like, where are spaces that you want filled and that you think you could fill for other people and thinking through that in your life? too. Cause I think that that really is a really big driving factor and it just keeps us, keeps us going. It's like being the adult that we needed growing up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So sitting down and writing this letter, I know that you have done so much self-reflection in your life. And sometimes when we go through this podcast, a lot of people are like, wow, I've never done anything like this before. And this is totally new for me and, and all of that. But this is by far not even close to being the first time that you've done a lot of self-reflection and everything like that. But have you ever sat and just written a letter to your younger self and like thought through that whole process? I'm trying to remember if I have written a specific letter of some sort, but I will tell you this. I have done a lot of inner child healing. Um, Clearly I'm talking about things that happened to me at 15 right now, but I'm not talking about things that happened uh, before that. So yes, there has been a lot of work where I have had to sit with my younger self. Um, It's really powerful for me to look at pictures of myself from um, childhood or like right now on my fridge, I have like a five by seven of my second grade picture that I literally see every day. I have like my first softball, like my first t-ball picture on my fridge. It's things like that, that bring about self-reflection for me. Um, seeing pictures on my time hop of when I was 14 and 15 and being able to see that it's almost just like a normal daily practice for me that I, I face, I face my younger self and I do the healing work that 
um, has been necessary to do. Mm-hmm. And usually those kind of things, at least for me, give me a huge sense of gratitude that I have been, that I'm not where I was and that I've been able to heal and grow through a lot of those things. So what has gratitude done for you over all of this? Yeah, I think, well, gratitude has been helpful, but I will say there have been plenty of seasons where I have not felt gratitude. So being on the other end of those seasons, yes, gratitude has done a lot for me. Um, And it has reminded me that, like I said in my letter, like I chose the right path in healing from a lot of things. Um, I could have gone down a much darker, unhealthy path and I didn't. Um, and that is by the grace of God um, and by a lot of people who loved and cared for me. And I think my own values and integrity that I wanted to keep. I'm incredibly grateful for where I am now and the experiences that I have and that I'm able to see that God is a God of redemption. And so um, the fact that now I am in a role uh, as a resident director, that was incredibly impactful for me 10 years ago. I've been in this role for, this is my seventh year in it. Um, that is, that is beautiful. The fact that I am now a therapist and um, am able to help people work through their trauma, that is redemption for me. Um, the fact that I have been able to have an impact on kids' lives um, throughout the last 10 years um, and be a safe adult for them, that is redemption for me. So just being very grateful that God has shown me that he wants to redeem things over and over and over again um, has been really, really cool for my walk. Yeah. With God. It, it's a beautiful thing to see how God really does turn something that was really negative into something positive. And so yes. he never, he never lets negative things just stay there. If we give them to him, he's, mm-hmm. he's always going to turn something into a positive. So he turns abuse and something really, really negative into you being able to channel all of that into healing other people. And he does that with all of our stories when we release those things to him, instead of just like sitting there in the pit and we're like, okay, well, this is my life now. Like we talked about earlier, when, if you wouldn't have pursued all of that healing, where would you be now? Um, That's just a continual spiral, but God God always works for, for our best when we just sit and be still with him, bringing back yeah. that Exodus verse. Well, yeah. And it brings up another really important story for me was the story of Joseph. And at the very end of the story of Joseph, um, which I'm not going to explain it all. You can go read it in the Bible. Um, but at the very end, he says, you know, what you have intended for evil, God has made good. And that was very powerful for me to take in in college as well, to understand that so many things happen to us in our lives that are intended to break us down and make us feel defeated, um, hurt us, uh, keep us stuck. But like you mentioned, when we are able to give it, give it to God, God will, will make it good, even if we can't see it. Hmm. Um, Cause there are plenty of things that have happened, um, are happening that I don't see how God has made them good yet. I, I don't see it yet. And I also don't think that that is a way to like spiritually bypass hurt. I don't think you can go through something and just tell yourself, well, God will make it good. So it's okay. I don't mean it in that sense. Um, I really do mean it as in when you can surrender something and you grow through something and you're 10 years down the road, 20 years down the road, you can look back and see, oh, oh God, 
I think God did use some of this for good. Yeah. Um, so I hope no one hears that and thinks that uh, they should just diminish whatever they're feeling or going through. That is, that is not the case. Um, it is just the idea that you can see a different perspective when you're outside of it. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, you did all of this work with healing. And if you wouldn't have done that, then it, it wouldn't have had the same result. If you would have just Jesus juked it and right. been like, well, you know what? God's just going to, everything's going to be okay. Everything happens for a reason. And you tell yourself that instead of working through your grief and your healing and the, the pain that you experienced in your life. Yeah, it is not a a pleasant thing to do, to do work towards healing. Um, it is very painful and it hurts a lot. Mm. So it's the opposite of Jesus juking, um, in every form. (laughs) Yeah. So right now, if somebody's listening to this and they maybe are sitting in a similar spot to you, whether that is they think through a codependent relationship that they might have, whether adult or with a friend Mm -hmm. or with a significant other, or they're, they're struggling with a trauma or abuse growing up. Like what are, what's some advice that you have for people that are in a similar spot to you in all of this? The first thing that pops in my mind is let safe people in. Um, And I want to highlight safe. Yeah. How do you Um, know someone's safe? Well, gosh, I mean, there's this great book called Safe People by John Townsend and Henry Cloud um, that can really define it for you. But this would be someone who has boundaries, um, someone who um, you trust that will not share everything you've gone through. Um, it's someone who who exemplifies healthy relationships in their life. I mean, the list could go on of other things, but those are like pretty good key signs that you could probably trust somebody. Yeah. Um, so let safe people in, uh, let them know what has gone on or what you're experiencing. Um, let them take care of you or help take care of you or find somebody who can take care of you. I will always suggest to go to counseling always. I believe that it can be very helpful and very healing. Uh, We talk about counseling a lot on this podcast and always recommend it to people. Yes. And stay like be in community. Don't isolate yourself. So, you know, be involved in a church, hang out with your friends. Uh, Don't, don't let the things that you've experienced pull you away from life. Mm, Yeah. Yeah. Those are, I think those are some of my suggestions for people. Mm-hmm. And I heard through this entire thing, how much you relied on God in oh, yes. all of this and like making sure he was your, like, if he wasn't your foundation, if you hadn't have done the work before all of these things were happening, then it would have easily crumbled. But you did right. grow up like this all started happening late middle school. And so you even took the time in middle school to build a foundation with Jesus and continue to work through all of that. And that helps sustain you. And when your house was crumbling, you still had the foundation with Jesus. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So please have a foundation with God. And if you don't, again, you need to let in and say people to help you with that. Uh, if you can't do it on your own. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I agree with that. Yeah. Well, Jess, it has been unbelievably fun <laughs> sitting and talking to you and it's like sitting and talking to a good friend which i happen to be doing right now which is what we are so <laughs> it's super great none of this is new news to you 
I know I already knew all this, but it's so good to just sit and have a great conversation. And I hope you guys learned a lot and, and grew. And if you, if counseling is something that you're interested in and you don't know where to start, feel free to, you know, message this podcast and message, uh, campus life and or, or anything like that. And, and we can maybe give you some resources for all of that. And so we'd love to point you in a good direction if you need anything at all in, in, in that direction. And if you are suffering from abuse, please reach out and get some help. Ask some adults to help you and to intercede for you and to be there for you. You do not need to be doing these things alone. And that is unbelievably important. And I know Jess would say the exact same thing in, in all of this. So um, guys, thank you so much for listening to the podcast and make sure you go follow us on Spotify or Apple podcasts or wherever else podcasts are found. And guys, I hope you learned a ton about Jess today. I hope you learned a little bit more about yourself and a lot more about God and go out and have an amazing day.